0: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester, with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: He spends 40 years out in the desert because of their disobedience and God's trying them. God's approving them. God's teaching them, preparing them for what lies ahead because that's the way God does. He always prepares and everything that he allows in your life, he has prepared you for that event whether you understand it or not. Sometimes he does work in the basement you can't even see. You can't even, you're not even cognizant of it but he's working and you can trust him because when he's working, he only does good things. And he's preparing you for tomorrow. He's preparing you for something that's going to happen a week from now, something that's going to happen a month from now, a year from now.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to Truth in Christ. Preparation is an everyday part of our lives. We may prepare hours or days ahead of time for events in our lives, but as Christians we must remember that by God's divine direction, He is always preparing us to be ready for what may come in our lives. Today, Pastor Rob's message teaches us how God prepared the nation of Israel to enter the Promised Land. It's important to pay attention to God's direction in order for us to be prepared for what lies ahead in the same way the leaders of Israel did when it came time to possess the land God had given them. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Easy?
1: No, he didn't say it was going to be easy, but he did say that I'd go before you and all you have to do is show up and pay attention. Show up and obey. Be obedient, listen, and be obedient, and follow through. And you know what? No matter how big the army, no, how, no matter how big the fortified walls, when God says, I'm going to go before you, you just go before me and do the work, and I will, I will strike the fear in their hearts. I'll do the psychological, and you guys just go in and do, and, and do the physical. And I'll give you the strength even to do that. And I love God for that. He knows what he's doing. This ought to sound very familiar, because Lot had the same problem. In Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, you remember the event. It says, So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? So please separate from me, Lot. You've got a lot of cattle. And if you take the left, then I will take to the right. And if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan, again walking by sight and not by faith, that it was well watered everywhere. And this is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zohar. And then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. He continued going east, and what is he going to run into? And they separated from each other, and Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. So you can see in his... What he was seeing with his eyes was just the allure of the land. And what's that going to do always? It's going to bring you into a place where you're going to get, and then all of a sudden you're not going to be able to get out. Sin is like that. You make one compromise and you get into it, and there's no getting out of it so easily. If you, it's, sometimes it's hard to just hold your ground and say, I'm not going any further, and you have to do it. And it takes strength to do that. It takes strength, inner strength, God-given strength by the Spirit of God. But if you cave in... It's going to be that much harder to get out because I'm sure that Lot says, well, I'm not going to be like those wretched sinners. Like it says in verse 13, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Lot's thinking to himself, I'm, I'm like my brother, A am like my uncle Abraham. Not going to give in to that, but he pitched his tent toward it. And before long, he's, look, he's looking, he's seeing. Hmm. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life starts to take over because now he's in a place of ease. All of his cattle are feeding, the food is coming in, the servants are doing well, everything seems to be doing well. And little does he know that his, his faith is being eroded moment by moment as he pitches his tent towards Sodom. Are you like that? Are you in a place right now where you're flirting with something you know you ought not to flirt with? God has told you that you're not to do it, and you're doing it anyway. You're flirting with it, you know what's wrong, and you are involved in it. And you find yourself less resistant to pull back any longer. And you find yourself doing the same thing over and over. And you say, God, will you deliver me? And when you finally get to the point where you hate it, God can deliver you. He can and he will. But you need to make steps to pull away from that. You have to do it. And he'll give you the strength to do it. So don't play with the flesh. If you play with the flesh, you will get burned. There's no doubt about it because the flesh is never satisfied. And notice, this created a problem with them. In Joshua chapter 22, we're not going to go there because of time, but I'm going to share with you the incident. After they had, later on in history at this time, after they conquered that land, and uh, Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they get their land and they're all settled. Moses comes to them and he talks about this in Joshua, and Joshua does too. He says, when this happens, make sure that you, all the men, go over and help the other tribes go into the land of Canaan and secure that land. You help us because we helped you, right? It only makes sense. We all went in here and we did this together. You can stay here and leave your children and your wives behind, but you go over the Jordan with us and you fight that battle, those battles with us. And when we're done settling that land, you can go back. And they did. And the moment they did, they did something. They got right over the, the, the river there, and they decided to build an altar. They knew that they were only to worship at the, at the tabernacle. But they built this huge, big altar, just like the one that they had in the tabernacle, and it creates a problem. And so the, the children of Israel come over and they're like, what are you guys doing? You know you're not supposed to worship here and do this kind of thing. What, what, you're already falling. You, I mean, it's, it's bad enough that you wanted to stay over here and, and, and kind of play footloose with the world now. But now you're building an altar, and you're going to sacrifice there instead of going into the, the tabernacle where God told us that he would only meet us there. Why are you doing it over here? You know, and they're ready to go at blows with each other. They're ready to destroy each other. And finally, the guys on the, on the east side, they said, look, we're not doing it here to sacrifice. We're putting this up as an as a, as a altar of remembrance so that later on when our families and they start to intermix, we can say this is a, a testimony of what God did, that we are the same. And so they're like, okay, that's fine, you know? And so they didn't sacrifice on it. It was an altar. It was a stone of remembrance, if you will, except it was a very significant altar. So it creates problems, doesn't it? It's a little compromise. And that's what the Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh... And by the way, what happened in 722? Fast forward several hundreds of years. Who were the first to go into captivity from the Assyrians as they came down in 722 BC and they came to take those northern ten tribes captive, who were the first ones they nailed? Reuben and Gad and Manasseh or Manasseh. They were the first ones to be taken off captive. And it's almost like, you know, the the fruit of it, the fruit of that decision going all the way back. They left themselves vulnerable. And now they are there. They're just like, like a hunter putting out a salt lick in his backyard and deer coming up, and they're just sitting ducks, but creates problems. In verse 12, we're back in Numbers chapter 3. He says, And this land which we possessed at that time from Arorar, which is the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities, I gave to the Reubenites and to the Gadites, and the rest of Gilead and all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh." All the region of Argob with all of Bashan. Bashan is this area right up in here. All this area right up here along the Golan Heights here. And right down here is the, um, down further down here is the, down there by the Dead Sea, which is off the map here, is the uh, Mount Gilead. It's a mountain range right along the west coast of the Dead Sea. It's just, when you're in the Dead Sea and you look over to the east, all you see is this mountain range. And it goes all the way up, all the way up into here. And you can see it. But now, um, you know, this, this, this area of Bashan here has now been given to them. So verse 14, Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob as far as the border of the Jeshurites and the Maacathites Meac- and called Bashan after his own name, and he called it Havoth-Jair, which means city of Jair. That's kind of nice. That's what we do here in in, uh, in Rochester. When you're a wealthy uh, owner of paychecks, you build the Tom Golisano Center at the University of Rochester, right? <laughs> you put your name on it. It's yours. The, after all, you're the one who paid for it. So, uh, off Jair, city of Jair. It's mine. <laughs> my, my city, right? Verse 15, also I gave Gilead to Meshir, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites, I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river, as the border, as far as the river Jabbok, the border of the people of Ammon, again, which is all this area in here. So from the river Jabbok, which is right here, all the way uh, all the way up in this area. Then I commanded you, I'm sorry, verse 17, the plain also with Jordan as the border from Chinnereth, which is uh, the Sea of Galilee. They call that the Chinnereth. Chinnereth, ju- it just means a harp, is really what it is, because it's shaped like a harp. And so the Sea of Galilee is called Chinerith, which means harp. And so, as far as the east side of the Sea of the, of the Arabah, which is the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah, verse 18, Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over arm before your brethren, the children of Israel. But your wives, your little ones, your livestock, I know that you have much livestock. They shall stay in your cities, which I have given you. And verse 20, until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them from beyond the Jordan, then each of you may return to his possession which I have given you. So again, God is just saying to them, if you want to settle here, if that's what you want, if that's what you really want, I'll allow it. It's not my perfect will, but there you go. But you'd better help your brethren, right? Right? Verse 21, And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. But you must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. You know, and, and so God is making sure that they take care of business. And then finally we get into verse 23, and, and this is kind of like the, the, the thing that really hurts. Because you think of all the toil and the turmoil and the strife that Moses had encountered coming out, of Israel, or coming out of Egypt, you know, leaving Egypt at 40 and then following his father-in-law's sheep around the desert for another 40 years. And then at the age of 80, finally going in before Pharaoh and getting the people of Israel and leaving, and then spending another 40 years when it should have only taken them a couple weeks He spends 40 years out in the desert because of their disobedience, and God's trying them, God's proving them, God's teaching them, preparing them for what lies ahead, because that's the way God does. He always prepares, and everything that he allows in your life, he has prepared you for that event, whether you understand it or not. Sometimes he does work in the basement you can't even see, you're not even cognizant of it, but he's working, and you can trust him, because when he's working, he only does good things. And he's preparing you for tomorrow. He's preparing you for something that's going to happen a week from now. Something that's going to happen a month from now. A year from now. So that when it does happen, you're not going to be broken. Like, like it says in the scripture, a uh, 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 you know, a bruised reed he won't break. And a smoking flax he won't quench. It's not his heart. He wants to bless you. He wants to love on you. He wants to prepare you. That's what a father does to his children. He's doing the same thing for them. But he also disciplines you remember, verse 23 here, it says, Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, Moses speaking now to this generation. I pleaded with the Lord, and the original language of this thing is pretty strong. It means he begged the Lord more than once. Have you ever had a child say, Daddy, can I have this? Mommy, can I have this? And you're like, no. Oh, please, can I have this? No. Please, I'll do this, I'll do that. No. Daddy, please, can I have this? Please, can I? And you're like, no what word? Don't you understand? It's it's spelled No, 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 no. Why? Because I said so. Give me a reason. No. We all laugh because it's happened, right? I do that with my wife. I don't even have to be a three-year-old to do that. But Moses pleaded. He begged the Lord. He was doing this with the Lord. And finally, the Lord says, uh, he says, "O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is in there in heaven and on earth who can do anything like your works in your mighty deeds. And he says, I pray, let me cross over and see the good land before or beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, Enough of it. <laughs> Speak no more of me of this matter. So God was very gracious. You know, he could have, um, you know, I, I love God like that. You know, he, he's, you can go to him and you can ask him. And, you know, there is a time when he just says, you know what, I've, I've already spoken to you about this. Why are you keep coming to me with the same thing? Stop. I love it in Jeremiah when, when Jeremiah is praying and the people of Israel, of Judah and Jerusalem, have become so engrossed in their idolatry that finally God says to Jeremiah, he says Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. It's coming. Judgment is coming. Stop praying. Is that you? God, I thought I'm always supposed to pray. Yeah, but stop praying. There's a time. And that time is now. Stop. <laughs> and, you know, we never want to frustrate the Lord's grace. He's inexhaustible, by the way. You can exhaust him. And you can, you know, but there there does come a point where the Lord has to be a little harsher with us. And sometimes we have to learn the lesson the hard way. But he's very patient. He's very slow to anger. He's very gracious. Remember that about the Lord. He loves you with an everlasting love. He says, remember when Jesus was leaving Jerusalem, he says, how how I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks and brought her under her wings. I would have have taken you and and given you covert. I would have given you everything you wanted. I would have given you uh, the kingdom, but you would not. You would not. Not that you can't, but you would not. It's an act of the will. You would not. And that's the same with me too. It's always about the will. It's not, it's not that I can't. It's that I just desire not to. I've got a better plan. I've got a better way. And I can, honestly, Lord, I can take this. I've done, before this, done this before, and I can do it better than you. Thank you. And the Lord's going, okay. See you in a couple weeks. You'll be on your knees crying again, and I'm going to love you again. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to brush you off and say it's going to be all right. And why was God angry with Moses? For the simple fact you remember back in Exodus, it's in 17, verse 5. People are out in the wilderness. They're thirsty, very natural. They start coming and arguing with Moses, and God says, Moses, I want you to go over to that rock over there, and I want you to take your staff, and I just want you to strike it once, and water's going to come out of that thing. And so he does. He shows up. He shows up, and he's obedient. He's obedient. He goes over and hits the rock with the with the staff. Water the thing parts and water's gushing out. And then later on, down the road, many years from then, similar thing happens. People want water, and they're frustrating Moses. So Moses is like, and God says, Moses, go speak to the rock, and water's gonna come forth. And he's like, He's fuming, he's boiling, he's fed up with these people. So he grabs that staff and he goes over and he gives it the Louisville slugger. He just gets it, gives it the old babe roof and whacks it twice. Not once, but twice. And God in his grace allows the water to come forth. And, and he says to Moses, Moses, because you misrepresented me before my people, you're going to see this land with your eyes, but you're not going to go in. Joshua is going to take the children of Israel in. And, you know, that's hard because he, he bore those people. God was really doing it, but it was hard for him, too. So verse 27, he says this. He says, go up to the top of Pisgah, which is, Pisgah is like an area. And one in that area, Mount Nebo, and some think that Pisgah and Mount Nebo are the same thing. I'm not really sure. But he says, go up on top of Mount Nebo and lift your eyes toward the east, or toward the west, the north and the south and the east, and behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over. Jordan, but command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. For he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. And so we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. And so it's a hard, it's a bitter pill, isn't it, for Moses? Because now his successor is going to take them in. And you know, you got to wonder about what was going on in his heart. You know, was he angry? uh at himself was he angry at god was he taking it out on joshua maybe even just a little bit have you ever been around somebody who is jealous of you they haven't really come out and said it to you but they're jealous of you and all this little innuendo that you can't it's all this nonverbal stuff that's so tangible though have you been around somebody like that they got a problem with you, but they won't tell you what it is. But they'll, because they either can't express it or they're too much of a coward to come to you and share it with you and do the right thing, instead they'll manipulate you, they'll hold you in suspense, and they'll use it for their advantage and make you feel inferior, make you feel like you've done something wrong. You've been around people like that? I have. And do you think that maybe Moses would have been tempted to do that with Joshua, thinking, who are you? You know, this... He doesn't even have as much experience as I do. I'm older than he is. I'm better than he is. My staff is bigger and bolder, and I've, I did this and I did that and all this other stuff, you know. My car is shinier. My chariot's shinier. My camel is bigger, smellier. <laughs> you know, it, it makes you wonder, but that was probably pretty hard for him, you know. And so we're going to stop there, and um, and we'll get into chapter four, and um, next week maybe we'll. Uh, it's a long chapter, chapter four, so we'll see how far we get. But let's stand and let's pray, and, and be encouraged. You know, um, one thing I love about the Bible is just the looking into the characters. These are real people, and you look at the life of Moses specifically. Going through this, and I, I like to put myself in his place, and I like to be the other people around him and, and, and role play in my mind what it must be like. What was it like for Joshua, having heard the news about what Moses had done? What was going on in his heart? Think about those things because you'll find that those are the uh, what's that word? Uh, take, um, take heed to your heart, for from it comes forth the issues of life, right? You know, when you start examining these things in the Bible, don't just let them, don't just read them. Think about the people. Think about the person. Think about those around them and how they might have felt, what they were thinking. And boy, the the depth of the Word of God comes to full life because you realize they were no different than we are. And so be encouraged because these men and these women that we read in these pages were no different than you and I. They struggle with the same things. So be encouraged. Know that the Lord loves you. And, and, and go to him often and just pray. And you know, just as we were encouraged with uh, this woman this morning who was cooking and heard the voice of God, just that still, small voice, If you if you sense that, and it doesn't go against the word of God, but may inconvenience you, may get you out of your comfort zone, maybe try going forward with it. And see what the Lord does. You may be surprised that he's been speaking for quite a long time. And I've just turned my ear. I've done that. And there's been times where I haven't and I've been pleasantly surprised. And I'm like, I can't believe it, Lord. <laughs> I just had that feeling. And you guys know. You guys on the streets, when you guys go out witnessing and sharing, you know that very well. You'll be speaking to somebody and you're like, I, I, I don't want to go up and speak to that person for some reason. They're you, just, you you go out and you do it anyway, and you realize, Lord, that was you. That was really you. So, Father, we, we do thank you, and we pray, Jesus, that you would make us uh, those servants that would just show up and that we'd pay attention, that we'd show up, we'd listen, and we'd be obedient to you. Father, help us as we read these things, Lord, not to let it go in one ear and not the other, but place ourselves in the in the in the events of these things and and learn a lot about our own selves, learn a lot about people, and learn how you de- how you dealt with people, in your love and in your grace and in your judgment. Father, you are so good and you are so awesome, and we just want to exalt you this evening and pray that you get us home safely tonight and just encourage us, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray.
0: If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited format, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the Radio and Sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. Truth in Christ.